be seated. Today we continue our study of Paul's letter to the, the church in Philippi, and we'll be talking about the future, and in particular about our true uh, purpose. Well, what is your true purpose? Well, I answered that question during my college years this way, to become a chemist. And then, after a little while, I changed that answer to that question to become a missionary. And then by the end of my seminary career, it changed again to become a pastor. It's interesting that oftentimes we, we confuse our our true purpose with our callings and our vocations. But I came to realize as I matured more in the faith that there's a distinction. Our calling, our vocation, all of those things to which God has called us are important and they are significant in and of themselves because God has called us to them and they are good. But if you're a teacher, if you're some other professional, if you are a husband or a wife or a child or a parent or if you're retired, whatever calling God has placed upon your life, that really isn't your true purpose. Well, what is our true purpose? I think our true purpose is beautifully given in our shorter catechism, the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Question one. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, in our passage today, Paul answers the question a little differently, but similarly. Because Paul helps us understand not only what his true purpose is, but more what the true purpose is we just read about in the Westminster Confession. And so we, we will look at the Apostle Paul living an honoring life. It reflects his true purpose. Not that he lived for his honor, but he lived for the honor of Christ. And because he lived for the honor of Christ, he lived a purposeful life. That God did give him a vocation and a calling. And as he lived purposefully, according to God's call and vo call of vocation, then he would honor Christ. And Paul was called to specifically minister to the saints in Christ at Philippi and to encourage them, even command them, to walk worthy of the gospel so they too might honor Christ in how they live. And so that is our, our uh, uh, desire today, is to look at an honoring life, a purposeful life, and a worthy life. And we see these three things reflected in Philippians chapter 1, the second part of verse 18, all the way through verse 30. So please turn to that passage of Scripture as we consider a purposeful life. Really, a gospel-advancing life is a purposeful life. So let us pray before we open uh, God's Word this morning. Father in heaven, I ask you to work in such a way that we would, like Paul, 
come to the place of really seeing that our purpose is to honor you, that we honor you through the various callings and vocations you've placed upon us, and certainly one of those callings and vocations is to walk worthy of the gospel. And so we depend upon you this morning, God the Holy Spirit, to open your word to us and impress it upon our hearts, we pray. Your word takes effect because God the Holy Spirit works. And so work in my heart, work in my words, work in our hearts. This morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, at least the second part of verse 18, God's word for God's people. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, so that rather I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is clear. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God the Holy Spirit revive our souls this morning with the very word of God. First, as we face the future, we are to be confident that, that our lives will reflect man's true purpose. And that true purpose described by the Apostle Paul is that our very lives will honor Christ. So Paul began this section with joy, 18b. He rejoiced in his future because he believed he would be released from prison temporally. But even if he wasn't, and let's just say that he stayed in prison so long that he died, or maybe the verdict came down that he was guilty of crimes against the state, and he was executed by Caesar, he would be delivered. 
So one way or another, the Apostle Paul was getting out of prison, either temporally or ultimately. And this he expressed joy. Paul rejoiced in the fact that God would sovereignly work through the prayers of his people to bring about his deliverance one way or the other. He requested the saints in Philippi to pray for his deliverance. But he also acknowledges that it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that he would be delivered. The power in prayer is not the words we speak nor the requests we make, but God sovereignly working through our prayers, ordaining our prayers to accomplish his purpose. Paul had joy as he looked to the future because he expected and hoped he would not suffer shame. Verse 20. Now, shame here is not to be confused with feeling guilty, which when we have shame, we, we definitely feel guilty. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is speaking more of shame in terms of not being embarrassed, not being the source of ridicule. Like preaching, Jesus is going to come back and I'm going to heaven and then Paul would be ashamed if Jesus never came back and he would be the source of ridicule. But what Paul is saying here is that either way, his release or dying in prison or even being executed, his true purpose was going to be fulfilled. Christ was going to be honored. He would not be embarrassed. He would either live to minister more or he would die to go be with the Lord. And then Paul rejoiced, as he said, in prison, facing the future, confident that both outcomes, release or execution, were, in the end, going to fulfill the true purpose that God had given to him, that Christ would be honored. Again, verse 20. Well, I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in conflict resolution, but I have. I've been one of the sides in conflict resolution, and I've been the mediator in conflict resolution, so I've kind of <laughs> done it all, I'm sure you have too. And so in conflict resolution, there, there, there may be a number of outcomes, but I'll just simply state three. There's, there's one outcome is that neither side wins, and that, that's not real good. There's another outcome that one side wins and the other side loses, and that's great for the one side that wins, not so good for the one side that, that feels like they've lost more than the other side. But really the preferred outcome is a win-win scenario, isn't it? That's what we all would seek in conflict resolution. And in this great conflict that Paul was in, being in prison, not really expecting that he would be released, but really not knowing Yet Paul was sitting there saying, hey man, I win either way, win-win. If I'm out, I win. I get to minister more. If I die, I win. I get to go be with Jesus. Win-win. So as we face our futures this morning, there is so much uncertainty out there before us, isn't there? But here's one certainty. I think I can say this is a certainty I can surely say this is a certainty for my life. Life never turns out like you plan. <laughs> that is a certainty for me, and likely it is for you as well. If you would have told me in the late 70s and early 80s, that's 1970, 1980, 
that in 1989 I would be ordained as a minister of the gospel, I would have laughed and called you crazy. Boy, had did my life veer off of my plans in a big way because I had my life set on a trajectory to meet my desires, but God was gracious and kind in changing not only the trajectory of my life, but believe it or not, He changed my desires to conform to where He was taking me. And so when I was ordained, I wanted to be ordained. Now in the early part of 2019, as I stand here in this pulpit looking beyond you into the future, there's a lot of uncertainty. Now my time frame in 2019 is a whole lot shorter than it was in the 70s. <laughs> but nonetheless, there is uncertainty out there that is before me. And this passage, what we're studying this morning, is so very freeing to me and to you, irrespective of your age, as you look into the future, you can be certain that God the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life that your life will honor Christ. Your life will honor Christ if you live or if you die. If you die. Your life will honor Christ if you're strong or if you're weak. Your life will honor Christ if you, if you succeed by the world's standards or you're a miserable failure by the world's standard. Your life will honor Christ if you are his disciple. That's what Paul is saying here. That's a certainty that we have. Now, do we believe it? Because we can mess up so much. It's hard to believe that our life is going to honor Christ. But that's the promise of God. And generally, our life honors Christ most significantly in suffering and in difficulty. And so we face the future, maybe in, in a situation this, this morning where you would say, I need to be delivered uh, from this situation. Pray, ask others to pray for you, trust in God the Holy Spirit to sovereignly use prayer to bring about, for God to bring about His purposes. But, but just think about your own life. As a believer, are, are you entrapped by something? Are you Maybe it feels like you're in prison. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a persistent sin you're struggling with. Maybe you're under persecution because of your faith, like the Apostle Paul. Maybe it's a responsibility that you have, and you just know that your ability doesn't match what's needed to, to fulfill that responsibility. There are so many ways that we can feel imprisoned relationship problems. I, I keep saying that. I think it's about every sermon where I note <laughs> problems that, that we encounter as Christians. 
relationships always comes up. Why? Because it's true. What Paul tells us is be like him. (laughs) Sitting there in prison. Resting in the fact that there is going to be a deliverance. Temporally or ultimately. To have courage, to have confidence, to have hope, to have joy. Because God the Holy Spirit is going to work in such a way that Christ is going to be honored. Even though we can't see it. We can't figure out how. Our lives will reflect man's true purpose. And man's true purpose is to honor Christ. And so in a very real sense, we can approach life. We can look into the future and say, hey man, it's a win-win scenario for me. Second, as we face the future, confident that Christ will be honored by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we find great freedom and energy to pursue the various callings and vocations, another word for calling, that God grants us. Paul had a purpose for living. He was to live purposefully. He was to be about doing what God had called him to do. Now, God could have very well called him to die. That's the vocation. Death is the vocation. But it seems like the Apostle Paul is thinking, God is probably going to call me to keep on living, to keep on ministering the gospel. You know, as a husband, I am, I am called to set my personal desires aside to serve Renee. Now, it's not easy. And it's, it's not easy, not because Renee's difficult, <laughs> she isn't. It's not easy because I'm selfish and I'm sinful. In the end, my desire is trumped by what is more necessary for Renee's good. Do you get that? My desire, even my godly desires is trumped, not the president. I don't want to get any emails. My desires are trumped by what is more necessary according to God's plan and purposes. Even when our desires are godly desires. And so you may desire X, and X may be really great, really godly, and yet God says it's more necessary that you do Y. Think about that. Paul's desire to go be with Jesus was far better. It was the best, but it was trumped by what was more necessary for the good of the saints in Christ in Philippi. This, by the way, is revolutionary to the Christian life if we embrace it. Think about it. My desires, more necessary. Don't we deal with that every day? Do you see where there could be some conflict there? 
To die is gain, verse 21b. That's what Paul says. To die is gain. That is a really godly statement, <laughs> right? To die is gain reflects a really holy spiritual desire, good it's a desire we all should have. Paul preferred death because it meant his soul would go directly to heaven. And he would be with Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's the better thing. That's the best. And just as a side note, this text is one of several that supports a doctrine that we know as the intermediate state. The only time the body and soul are separated, sorry Shirley MacLaine, is at the time of physical death. Where and by the way, this is true of the reprobate and the elect, that is, those who aren't in God's family and those who are. The body goes and rests in the grave, or whatever the body is, is done to it, <laughs> and the soul goes directly to its eternal resting place. And for the believer, for Paul, and for you and me, and for our loved ones, that have passed on that are believers, their soul today is with the Lord, immediately to go and be with the Lord. Another scripture, Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The intermediate state. What a great doctrine that is. What a comfort that is. What a truth that is. Paul desired the better thing, right, to go be with Jesus. Caution, sometimes desiring to go be with Jesus is not all that godly when we try to escape because we're just fed up with this world. And there's plenty over which to be fed up about in this world, right, and with our lives. But I think that's an ungodly reason. But it's a godly reason to genuinely want to go be with the Lord. Because that's far better. Also in verse 21, the first part, Paul said to live as Christ. To live as Christ. And Paul makes a similar statement in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. When he said this, I've been raised with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live is Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And what does that mean? I think it simply means living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Living as a disciple of Jesus Christ, repenting of sin over and over again, believing Christ over and over again, walking in obedience in the power of of Christ over and over again, all for the true purpose of honoring Christ's name. And so that's what it means to live as Christ. And then Paul said, and to die is gain. Well, in verse 23, the first part of it, Paul says, I am hard-pressed between these two. And what does he mean by that? He means, I am struggling. <laughs> I feel as though I'm being torn in two. Part of me wants to go be with Jesus. That's far better. 
The other part, though, knows that I still have, as the text says, fruitful labor here. And then he makes this statement, I have no idea which I will choose in the second part of verse 22. That just shows the intensity of Paul's inward struggle. Well, Paul had no idea what he would choose because it's not his choice. Paul was, Paul was not indicating here that he has a choice and when he, if he lives or dies. That's all in God's hands. He's just simply speaking in a way that will help us see just what a struggle this was. Genuinely wanting to die, even be executed, to go be with Jesus, but yet realizing he still has fruitful labor to which he is called by Jesus in order to advance the gospel here on earth. And so he struggles. You know, I may struggle with cheesecake, with strawberry topping, or blueberry topping. And so what do I do? I eat both. That's the way you do conflict resolution. Win-win. You eat both. Two helpings of cheesecake. But Paul's struggle here is not like my cheesecake dilemma. It's actually not a dilemma because I get two pieces of cheesecake. So yeah, put that choice before me anytime. Because see, the choice, why Paul is so hard-pressed is that one negates the other, at least temporally. His desire was to be understood in light of what was more necessary according to the purpose and plan of God. Look at verse 24. Paul is convinced, in other words, Paul is settled in his mind that it was more necessary, even though he wanted to go be with Jesus so bad, it was more necessary that he remain in the flesh on account of the Philippians. In verse 25, Paul expected to be released from prison and to serve the Philippians because it was more necessary that he encouraged them to progress in joy in the faith. And it's interesting that the word translated progress here in uh, verse uh, 22, 25 is the same word in verse 12 that means advance. So Paul is still thinking in terms of God has called me to advance the gospel in the lives of the Philippians, to encourage them to be an instrument for them to progress in the faith, advancing the gospel. Paul affirmed it is more necessary to live and advance the gospel, to teach, to preach, to pray, to counsel, to shepherd, for the growth of the saints in Christ and Philippi. And we should desire to be with Jesus in heaven. End of the last words of the scriptures. Come Lord Jesus. It's a legitimate prayer to pray, a legitimate desire. But that desire should never paralyze us or cause us to sit on the sidelines and actually living to advance the gospel and in so doing honor Christ's name. We have a responsibility, lo, a privilege to live purposeful lives that honor Christ. In verse 26, Christ's name would be honored in Paul's release and continued ministry. 
Paul's true purpose will be realized through his calling to live for the spiritual growth of the saints in Philippi. And our true purpose is realized through purposeful living, being about the various callings and vocations God has bestowed upon us, continuing to serve Christ, continuing to serve one another, purposeful living honors Christ. What are the more necessary matters in your life today? For Paul, it was ministering to the Philippians. For you, it may be ministering to a neighbor, ministering to a family member, getting involved with a ministry here in church, ministering with one of our ministries to, as far as outreach ministries go. Think of all the various callings God has placed upon you, opportunities for you to advance the gospel in some way like Paul was doing. What are the more necessary things in your life? What are the things that God's calling you to do to advance the gospel and to honor His name? Well, there's one calling, one necessary thing we all have. And Paul mentions that in this last point. Third, the result of Paul's calling to foster spiritual growth is a command to the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel and to live worthy of the gospel by standing firm together even in suffering. The little phrase that you see there in verse 27, let your manner of life that is an imperative in the Greek. That is a command, an exhortation. This is not a suggestion. This is Paul saying one of the chief ways, one of the chief callings, one of the chief vocations you have as a saint is to walk worthy of the gospel. And what does it mean to walk worthy of the gospel? We are to stand firm together in one spirit. We are to stand firm together in faith, relying on the Holy Spirit's power to fuel our walk. Together we stand in faith. We are to stand firm with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Not only are we to stand together agreeing on the content of the gospel, this is the gospel, and by the way, in our day and time, that's a challenge, isn't it? So many Christians think this, other Christians think that, some churches think this, other churches think that. We should be ever so grateful to God working through men to bring about, not His Word, yes, most of the authority, but yet to bring about a document like our confession of faith that helps us stand firm together and agree on what truth is, what the, what the Bible says, what the gospel is. And so we're to stand firm together agreeing on truth, but more than that, we are to stand firm together believing it. I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge it, it's quite another to believe it. We stand firm together encouraging one another, like we read this morning from Hebrews in the call of worship, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to spur one another on to believe more in Jesus, to repent more, to walk in obedience. And so if you read further in, in our passage, not only are we to stand firm together in one spirit, 
that is faith. We're to stand firm together agreeing on the content of the gospel as well as embracing the gospel personally and to be in, and really to live empowered by it. But I love this. We're to stand side by side. We are to stand firm. A former uh, church member, Mary Ann Miller, well-beloved member of our church, I don't know how many times I heard her say, growing old, you can probably repeat it, is not for the faint of heart. Right? <laughs> it's not. I'm learning that lesson. Growing old is hard business. Being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It is hard business. And one of the ways we progress and mature is when we stand together. That's the way God has ordered things. We're not called to be islands, but a community, a communion. We're called to be together. And so here we see Paul expressing this and stand side by side, stand Listen, standing firm is tough enough, but standing firm in unity, that's really a challenge. But God's grace is sufficient. And we stand together, arm in arm, hand in hand, arm, whatever you want to put that, linked together as one mighty force, unified like three strands that are woven together are stronger than one strand, as the Bible tells us, alone. And so we're called to walk worthy by standing firm, one spirit, one mind, side by side. Why? Because, verse 28, the opposition's out there, the enemy is out there. There are threats that would frighten us and maybe should frighten us. Our opponents, enemies of Christ, are trying to trip us up, trying to destroy the church. We know Paul is talking about enemies of Christ because he says that their dastardly work is for their destruction in verse 28. But he also says that their opposition is a clear sign of your salvation. And this is a lesson that, that we learned from, a, from the underground church in China, for example. The more persecuted they are, the stronger they are. And it does beg the question, I've read this in so many folks writing about this, that if the church is not suffering some, if the church is not in some way being opposed, yet the question, are they really faithful? So I think what Paul is saying here is, listen, if you're opposed by the enemy, just understand that's because you're seeking Christ and seeking to be faithful as his church. Why would the enemy ever persecute covenants? Because we're standing faithful and we pose a threat to them. Then in verses 29 through 30, Paul reminds the saints in Christ at Philippi that they share in the sufferings of Christ. See, again, we come back to this note of suffering. Suffering for the Christian must be significant because Paul keeps mentioning it, doesn't he? That they will share in the sufferings of Christ as a necessary consequence of being a disciple of Christ, believing in Him. Remember last week in verse 12, the Apostle Paul again mentions the fact that he was suffering in prison and it was suffering for Christ. And so will the Philippians suffer for Christ. That's why they need to stand firm together. That's why Paul is focusing on commanding this worthy walk. And as they walk worthy, as they stand firm together, even in the face of suffering, Christ's name 
will be honored. Even as Paul honored Christ as he was there laboring in prison. Paul suffering in prison. The, the saints in Christ at Philippi suffering in various ways as, as we'll, we'll see later in our study. They were being opposed by threats within the church and threats from without. Our suffering today for the sake of Christ, verse 30 tells us, it's all part of the same conflict. The same conflict. Paul's suffering, the saints in Philippi's suffering, our suffering today is a result of the same conflict, the conflict between, ultimately, between Satan and Christ. But the outcome is the same as well, that Christ would be honored. Paul's point is stand together, united, stand together, resting and trusting in God the Holy Spirit to empower you to be fearless in the face of enemy of the enemy and so honor the name of Christ the end is our true purpose Christ honor so Paul rejoiced over the fact that Christ would be honored in his life as he served the Philippians and he rejoiced over the fact that Christ would be honored in the Philippians life as they followed his command to walk worthy and the same is true of you and me today I'm going to close with a story it's not really a story, it's just a, an analogy that is from the world of aviation. I know we have very gifted and skilled pilots here, so if I get, the, get it wrong, just forgive me. Uh, but plotting a course to fly from point A to point B the old-fashioned way, that is with aeronautical charts and navigation tools and protractors and straight edges and those sorts of things requires also considering the difference between true north, that is geogra the geographical north pole and magnetic north. They're different and depending on where you are the difference may be greater or, or less. And so you always have to correct so that when flying from point A to point B, you actually get to point B. And so if we look at true north being our true purpose, honoring Christ, magnetic north being our desires, even godly desires, and the course that is, is there before us between point A and point B being our walk, our life, then we need to see what Paul is saying here is that when our desires, even if they're godly ones, kind of become our purpose, then we are going to be off course in actually having that true purpose reflected in our life. And so the application for us today is, is to ask this, this question, if I am going to keep on course 
living my life doing the more necessary things to which God has called me, then I constantly need to be correcting for veering off course when I start following my own desires, thinking that's my purpose. And the way to correct for that is to seek God, to show us our error, to repent of it, and to bring us back on course. A gospel-advancing life is a purposeful life for the honor of Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for working in us in many respects and in ways that we just simply can't understand that actually bring you honor. And I pray that you'd give us courage and hope, give us wisdom, that we would keep true north our destination and realize that my desires need to be corrected so that I am faithful in living a purposeful life, doing the more necessary things to which you have called me until you take me home to be with you. This is our prayer. Receive it humbly and with gratitude. In Christ's name, amen.